Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Cosmos, Cosmos Space-Time Odyssey, and Cosmos Possible Worlds. Cosmos, Episode 1, titled The Shores of the Cosmic Ocean. Alright, we're back again, doing uh, another season of the Television Archives, starting off another new show. And, I'm gonna be honest, uh, full disclosure, right at the start of this thing, I have never seen the Carl Sagan version of Cosmos. Until today, I had, for whatever reason, never gotten around to watching a single episode of this original iteration of that series. Uh, The only version of Cosmos I am familiar with, and we'll, of course, talk about this in a few weeks, is the first Tyson version, uh, Space Time Odyssey. Uh, I hadn't even really gotten into Possible Worlds, but that's another... That's another deal entirely. This is the first time I went back and watched the Carl Sagan iteration of Cosmos. And I'm going to be honest, like, I was a little bit nervous going into this, because I know a lot of people love this, but also my 2021 brain was going, "Eh, this was 1980, it was several decades before uh, Tyson got in, television was much different, it wasn't as flashy at that time, like, is this gonna feel dry, is this gonna feel monotonous, comparatively speaking, uh, have I been spoiled with the Tyson version, and is this gonna land, uh, with the same level of resonance, I don't know, uh, thankfully though, my fears were assuaged, Almost immediately, within like the first five to ten minutes, I was just like, okay, yep, I'm bored. I love this. This first episode is fantastic. It is an incredible introduction to Cosmos, to everything that this show is, to everything that this franchise is. Like, it very much, this original version immediately pulled me in with all the wonder and all of the joy and all of the 
delight in science that Space Time Odyssey did, that the Neil deGrasse Tyson version did. And again, we'll talk about that more in a few weeks. Like, really, in terms of the broad strokes of this show, the only real differences between this and its successors are Carl Sagan's there, instead of Neil deGrasse Tyson, and the visual stylings are somewhat different. That's it. As far as the content itself, as far as the tone of the series, a lot of it is very much the same. And of course, this is going on 1980s science and not 2010 science like the Tyson did, so when we get to the Tyson ones, those will be more updated, but generally speaking, in all the ways that matter, this is exactly what I expect Cosmos to be, uh, and this is exactly the same as what I know of Cosmos from the Tyson era. And it's so brilliant. It's so well handled. Carl Sagan, my God, that man is such a brilliant science communicator. He is so good at taking these very, very big, at times very heavy concepts that scientists know very well, that scientists study every day, and phrase them in a way where it's easier for the average person viewing this show to wrap their head around, uh, frame it in a way where it's easy for some moron like me to totally get what he's talking about, while at the same time not feel like we're being talked down to. Like, I've never feel like I'm being talked down to by Carl Sagan, even though he is very much simplifying a lot of this stuff and very much rephrasing it in ways that the average idiot can <laughs> can pick up on. Uh, when I say average idiot, I mean me. <laughs> This is this is what I am. Uh, the Average Idiot could be the title of my auto-frickin'-biography. And it's... That's so hard to do. It's so hard to hit on that exact perfect balance between being just smart enough to not be talking down to your audience while being just simplified enough for the average person to get it. Uh, I can only think of three people throughout all of science entertainment that have been able to hit upon that balance perfectly. Like, with just complete and utter flawlessness. I can only think of three people in the entire history of scientific entertainment that have been able to do that. And two out of three of them hosted this show. <laughs> the other one being Bill Nye, who is a national treasure. Oh god, I should do a season on Science Guy. I should do a season on Bill Nye the Science Guy. Oh, that would be perfect. That would be the most perfect thing on the planet. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> Wait a minute, I need to write that down. Do television archive Bill Nye the 
science guy. Okay, I'm going to make that work. I'm going to try and make that work. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what I can do. Very much depends on availability. Anyway, Carl Sagan is so good as the host of this show. Uh, and, like, everything he says and everything he does, like, he has such a warm, inviting presence, much like Tyson would uh, decades later with Space Time Odyssey and Possible Worlds, I'm assuming. Uh, <laughs> I only watched two episodes of Possible Worlds, and then I couldn't find the rest. Uh, <laughs> like, okay. So, Possible Worlds. That premiered back in March of last year. It was on Nat Geo. I watched the first two episodes... Then let it sit for a while, and then by the time I got around to the rest of it, it was completely scrubbed from the damn internet. And I was just like, well, okay, guess I'm not watching Possible Worlds. So, <laughs> I have very limited knowledge on Possible Worlds because of that. Uh, anyway, tangent over. Every second Carl Sagan's on screen, like, everything he does and the way he breaks all this stuff down, it's... Really, really wonderful, and he's such amazing, an amazing pre- an amazing presence, visually. Boy, like, it's very clear when you watch this that this is 1980. Like, it's very clearly like shown its age, but gotta be honest, it still looks good. Like, it definitely shows its age, but not in a way where it looks bad. Like, this actually looks better than it really should. This looks better, quite frankly, than it has any right to. Given that it was from 1980, and given that it does have that 80s look where television shows really didn't have much of a budget. Like, it it looks really, really impressive for that time period. Uh, But anyway, all that technical stuff out of the way, let's just actually get into the substance of this first episode, which is just beautiful. Like, right off the bat, Carl Sagan wastes no time in giving you this expansive, like, tour of the universe. Like, we get in the Ship of Imagination, uh, which... In the original version, apparently looks like a spiky ball of death. <laughs> like in the in Space Time Odyssey, it looks like this sleek, really cool spaceship that you'd see in like a Star Trek or a Star Wars, and it looks really awesome. In the 1980s, it was just a spiky death ball. <laughs> that's the one element. That's the one element of this where I'm just like, mm, was that the best choice? <laughs> Was that the best choice of design? Eh, I'm not sure. Uh, but Carl Sagan's just roaming around the universe in a spiky death ball. Uh, <laughs> just giving us this tour of the universe. Introducing us to all these celestial bodies. Introducing us to all these various galaxies and planets and all of that. And uh, if I were to sum up this segment. It's a great thing. So yeah, 
Uh, <laughs> I couldn't resist it. I couldn't resist making the Animaniacs reference. Uh, yeah, it, it, it immediately you just see the expansiveness of the universe and how much is out there, how much is, like, just in this vast sea of the cosmic ocean. Like, how much is going on and how little we know for certain, how little we've explored, how little we have been to. Like, it is such a great, like, immediate jolt of, like, oh, shit, there's a lot. (laughs) There is a lot going on here, and Earth and humans and... Everything we think we know is, like, nothing. Uh, to keep the Fringe talk going a little bit longer beyond (laughs) our discussion of Fringe, it's like that line from the final season, like, the third to last episode of the final season, uh, where Walter Bishop is like, Uh, everything I knew or thought I knew as a great man could fit into a thimble. Uh, Like, it's very much that. And, like, it's just so awe-inspiring and so amazing. It's such a perfect way to start off. And then we go, quite literally, back down to Earth, and we go into the past, and we go into our journey as human beings gathering knowledge. Uh, We go into the... Aristotenes, Aristosthenes, his shadow experiment where he did the calculations to A, figure out that the Earth is curved, and B, figure out the exact circumference of the Earth. Like, way, like, in the era of Alexandria, in the era of the Library of Alexandria, like, Thousands of years ago. Like, able to figure all this stuff out. Just with, like, sticks and measuring distance between two points and all of that. Like, and just, like, general maths and stuff. And it's a really, really cool story. Uh, We explore the library of Alexandria and Carl Sagan sort of takes us through the wealth of knowledge that was that was there the wealth of knowledge that was once there before the library burned to the ground and there's this great moment where Carl Sagan going through like the library of Alexandria as it might have looked like in the past pulls out a scroll and it's talking about how this one dude like figured out the heliocentric model. That's what it's called, right? Heliocentric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, sun-centered model of the solar system. Years. Years. Like, centuries before anyone else did. Like, centuries before the big names that we know of, like, Kepler and Copernicus and all that, like, way, way, way long ago. And that was just lost to time when the library burned down and that knowledge was forgotten and it had to be rediscovered. And he's just like, yeah, multiply this 
by like 100,000. That's how much we lost in the Library of Alexandria when that burned down. And it's just like, God, like, how much further along we could be if there weren't those centuries between the Library of Alexandria burning down and us having to rediscover this knowledge we already knew before the end of that era. Like, just imagine how much further down the line we'd be. It, it, it's it's a real tragedy. Like, it's really, really just a horrible loss uh, in human civilization. Like, certain mysteries of the past could be uncovered by that library just still being there. Like, it's just insane. It's really, really insane when you really think about how big that collection was. Like, there were almost, like, a million papyrus scrolls. Handwritten papyrus scrolls. You think of how much was there and then how much, like, just burnt to a crisp. And how much knowledge was lost. Like, it's just insane. It really, really is. And then... After we dive through all of this and dive through this big history of knowledge, which, like, one of the things I love about Cosmos is just, like, it's not just an educational series. It's also a celebration of the idea of knowledge in general. And that Library of Alexandria segment really does underscore that in a beautiful way. It's really, really great. Uh, But then we kind of end this out with the introduction of... My favorite concept in all of Cosmos that I did not know was originally from this version. I assumed it was a creation of Space-Time Odyssey. The Cosmic Calendar. Which basically is all of the history of the universe reframed as a single calendar year. Uh, with the beginnings of the universe, the Big Bang, uh, on the first second of January 1st, and now being the last second of December 31st. And just going through the cosmic calendar, and you see relative in this year-long span, like, uh, the Milky Way didn't form until May. Uh, the Earth didn't form until September. Uh, And all of human history is just in the last seconds of December 31st. Like, the evolution of mankind was only in, like, the last couple hours. And all of recorded history is just in, like, a few seconds in this relative year-long calendar. And it's just such a perfect visual representation of, yeah, we're nothing. We're, 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 we're a blip. <laughs> we're literally a blip. We are nothing. We are barely registering on the giant uh, scale of time. We're just sort of blink and you'll miss us. Like, it's just, it's a perfect visual representation of just how young of a species we are, uh, and just how far we have to go, just how far, just how much we don't know. Like, it's a brilliant representation of that, uh, and 
this introduces us to that concept very, very well. Like, it's it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. Like, this first episode, this is, this is Cosmos. Like, I'm so happy that I finally get to go back to the series and find out, yeah, this was, this has good reason to be, <laughs> to be such an iconic, uh, point such an iconic thing in television like this has good reason uh to be in good standing in everyone's minds and this has good reason to have been revisited by neil degrasse tyson all those years later like it's just a thing of absolute beauty uh and yeah this is just the start this is just episode one of 13 and i'm very very excited to go deeper on this journey to go uh, uh, to dive in more to this Carl Sagan version uh, and then eventually to get around to Tyson. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great introduction to what I'm sure will end up being as I watch it further and further and further on a truly spectacular series. I have no doubt, doubt I will love the rest of the series every bit as much as I loved this first episode. If you like this, Favorite podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just push a button on the anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support this show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow, we will be discussing Cosmos Episode 2. Talk to you then.